The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell and I am joined uh, by someone who doesn't need a long introduction um, other than her name because uh, the legacy uh, that she embodies, um, it's, it's one that we are all familiar with, Dr. Bernice King is here with us today. Thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, Zelina. How are you? You know, life is is always an adventure. <laughs> but my, my mom always told me to enjoy the journey. So I'm trying to do that. That's the exact thing you have to do. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I should say that we're recording this interview on the two-year anniversary of what happened on January 6th in 2020, the insurrection. And I feel like I was talking to two professors this mor- morning on the show about the historical parallels. And I feel like you're such a perfect person um, with your family history, but also your current advocacy to speak to just where we are as a country in this particular moment or where you see us as a country in this particular moment as we sit here two years after what we watched in that violent attack on January 6th? You know, um, that's a very good good uh, question um, to ask and uh, to really reflect upon because I think when you consider the things that tend to get uh, the most attention um, from a media perspective, one would believe that um, our world is doomed. <laughs> Um, and I just happen to know that uh, uh, that is not necessarily the case because whenever there is what appears to be um, bad things, evil things, unjust things, or what some people would call a lot of darkness um, and disturbing things, there are also some very good things happening. They just don't get the light of day the same way. And uh, it does not mean that we should ignore um, or not give any attention to uh, addressing those things uh, that threaten uh, the good. And so uh, I think uh, as a result of that, there's a there's kind of like a battle between good and evil going on right now. Mm. And um, um, there is a, a you know a tension between new and old happening you know the old world the old way the old order the traditions the you know what have you versus new thinking and whenever you have that kind of tension you know you do have a sort of powerful resistance that happens mm-hmm. um the old has a hard time letting go so it will you know scream out it will act up 
Um, it's it's kind of if you look think about the physical body, the the purging that you go through when you start detoxing. Yes. Um, it's it's a process, and I think this nation uh, is going through a detoxing, and a lot of that stuff that's coming to the surface. Because sometimes when you physically detox, you know. Some people end up getting big pimples on their face and right. all kind of stuff. They start, you know, itching and <laughs> you're thinking, oh, God, something's wrong with me. I'm sick. You know, some people do have a feeling of sickness, uh, but this stuff is coming out. And so what I see is because there is this kind of new thinking and spirit that's coming out of a younger generation, especially right. that's kind of pushing us um, to be a little more person centered, which my father called for. And where do we go from here, chaos and community? He said, we must rapidly begin the shift from a thing-oriented society to a person-centered society. Mm. That was in 67. <laughs> because I think he saw on the horizon that with all of the progression we were making scientifically and technologically, that if we did not ensure that people first, humanity first stayed intact, we were going to end up you know, causing a lot of pain, suffering, and harm and damage to 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 human human life, whether you're talking about the environment, you know, whether you're talking about some of those old uh, systems and and um, traditions you know related to um, colonialism mm-hmm. and racism and apartheid and all of that kind of stuff, revisiting nationalism, revisiting us. Um, he was saying, look, we're becoming a more global world and we don't live in these silos anymore. We're connected. We're interconnected. You know, things that I use every day come from places all across the world. So I can't kind of see it as just, this is my world. This is my country. This is my group. This is my race. This is my whatever class, uh, because now we're so connected. And in that connection, we have to care about each other mm. for our world to survive. And so um, that kind of spirit and attitude seems to be emerging out of that younger generation who's pushing us. And so the resistance is happening. So that's kind of where I I see our world. The key though, in this season is that the people who seem to understand the light of progress have to be uh, vigilant. You know, it's, this is the, this is the time that you don't let up. And when I say let up, for instance, when certain things that are positive, you know, as a whole may happen for some people, mm-hmm. there's a tendency to get comfortable and lay back and say, oh, everything's going to be all right now. But we have to recognize that even as some of these things are on the horizon of change, there's always going to be the opposite of good that's going to be present. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> um, it's going to always find a host um, in some people. And so the vigilance is required so that as as it's finding host, those hosts won't have a comfortable place to rest in um, because it's, it's just not it's not going to be acceptable. Uh, and I'm not acceptable in the sense that you reject the people that it comes from, but what it represents does not become acceptable. Uh, and so, you know, my mother said the best struggle is a never ending process. It's freedom is never really won. You earn it and win it in every generation. So I think, you know, there were some people who felt like when President Obama became president, we had reached a post-racial society. Some people got a little comfortable. They stopped being vigilant, Mm. (laughs) you know, and we lost we lost some ground as a result because of some people, some people, my person's in the White House. It happens for anybody. 
my person's in office, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we kind of go back into our world and we still have to hold accountable because no matter who's in office, they're all working with a lot of people and all of those people don't think alike um, and shouldn't necessarily think alike. But it's kind of like right now, look what's happening in Congress. Oof. It's what's hard. happening in Congress is, that is it's, it's, it's hard it's, to watch. Right. It, it is. It is super disturbing. Um, what is happening right now. And um, part of it has happened because we didn't play our part as people. We kind of got to a stage in the, in our um, 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 process uh, of being a part of this democracy where we got a little bit too comfortable with elected officials representing us like, okay, they're in there so I can kind of go do my thing. But there's a thing called civic engagement mm-hmm. that we have to continue to keep at the forefront. It is still a nation of, for, and by the people. But when of, for, and by the people don't engage properly, these kind of things happen. It's so important um, to to marinate on that. I want everybody at home to think about the things that they can do to continue to stay engaged, even though, you know, we don't, there's no election coming up imminently, right, that's but that continued point. engagement is so key. And I, I think to your point about the resistance, I, I wrote a book, the end of white politics and in, and I have a chapter called the white resistance. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about how this has happened throughout history, whether yes. it be um, after reconstruction, when reconstruction ended or during the civil rights movement, we've had different iterations of the same thing happening over and over. And one of the things I've been thinking about as we sit here, um, you know, right um, before uh, your father's birthday is, you know, over a couple of weeks ago, not a couple of weeks, a couple of days ago, um, we lost Barbara Walters. Mm. And one of the things I saw people making the point of online is that she, you know, passed away at the ripe old age of 93. Um, and your father would have been 94. Mm. And one of the things I think we don't talk about enough is that so much of the progress that we've seen and made is in one lifetime. <clears throat> and it's so close. It's not far away. Right. So um, that is one of the things that I think about when you say we need to stay vigilant. So when you think about, um, you know, the fact that this civil rights history is not that long ago, um, you know, what's your message to the folks who are listening who think that the civil rights battles of the past are in the past? Well, they are in the past in the sense that what occurred during that time period and the progress that was made is, you know, that's, that's, that's done. Um, but that part that my father, my mother spoke about, about freedom never really being won. Mm-hmm. You know, if we don't do our part in our generation, some of the, what's happening and has been happening um, with the rollback, you know, from voting rights, you know, to some of these uh, laws that were put in place around voting um, recently, uh, will uh, occurs. Um, and so, you know, what we have to grab hold to from that time period is what did that group of people teach us? What did they, what is the legacy that they left us? Mm-hmm. And so we think about, you know, you know, Dr. King, we think about 
you know, the policies that were put in place um, from the Civil Rights uh, Act to the Voting Rights Act to the Fair Housing Act. Um, but the question is, how do we now uh, make sure that there are proper policies in place, not just policies, but also the proper um, mindset, the proper way of engaging as a humanity is in place. And that's why nonviolence is so important. You know, mm-hmm. um, somebody once asked my mother at Stanford, what does she see as the single most important issue of today? And this was back in the 90s, I want to say the early 90s. And she took a long time to answer it because she wanted him to understand that whatever the issues are, if we don't have a philosophy and a methodology to engage them, then it's gonna be very difficult for us to truly um, confront and deal with these issues. And I would say the same thing today. I think we're trying to fix things uh, with the wrong uh, thinking, the wrong approach, and and without having a disciplined manner. What Mm -hmm. nonviolence does is it gives us the discipline, number one, to stay steady and focused, um, to create strategy, to corral, to coordinate, uh, to coalesce um, around a, a plan uh, that will work to, to galvanize um, and, and to attack things in a way that has more, less, should I say, it has less of the seeds of bitterness um, mm. and seeds of retaliation, um, you know, and and if if the momentum is kept, see, I think if if my father had lived or those that came behind were able to stay together because they had issues too, as we mm-hmm. know, we're all human. Mm-hmm. You yes. know, my mother did her tremendous part, but she was a woman at a time that men still were struggling with women in leadership, as they still do today, not at the same level. Um, but certainly much greater than today. And so I think she could have, but people didn't rally around that. Um, and if if they had, I think the momentum that the movement had, had it continued, we'd be in a totally different place today because they had, they had this strategy and manner and way that unearthed some of this um, you know, ugly stuff, the, you know, the, 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 the racisms and for mm-hmm. them, not, not just prejudice, but unearthed the way that that prejudice was manifesting itself with power through systems. Um, and so we've got to get back to that. So I'm, I invite people to look, we have the first in the world e-learning um, a class on nonviolence. Um, and uh, it's self-paced. People can do it, um, you know, whenever they have time and get us a, a certificate at the end uh, and really learn about how nonviolence changed uh, this nation and, and, and the world because we have mm-hmm. sections that, talk about, that talks about the world impact that the, the King Center has had and, and my father through nonviolence. Uh, and so they can go to the King Center KingCenterInstitute.org or the KingCenter.org and find out about Nonviolence 365 e learning. Uh, We've translated it into six languages and we're going to translate it into more. We have it in German, Italian, French, Spanish, Korean, 
and Mandarin. And somebody asked me, why did you do Mandarin? Because you know, they don't have access uh, to, to, our, to our internet. I said, because there are people from China that live in other parts of the world, right. people who do speak Mandarin, and they still have connection back to those in their, in their uh, nation. So, hey, why not translate it? Exactly. <laughs> it's one of the exactly. major languages of the world. And then we're going to translate it uh, in the future to Russian and Persian and um, Arab, Arabic and, and Hindi and um, Vietnamese um, and um, um, Portuguese. So uh, we want to make sure that as many people in the world can have access to this. And let me tell you why. In 1964, my father delivered a lecture as a part of um, him receiving the Nobel Peace Prize. And um, he did this lecture at um, the university there in Oslo. And in it, he said, I suggest that the philosophy and strategy of nonviolence immediately become a subject of study and serious experimentation in every field of human conflict by no means excluding relations between nations. So here we are 59 years later, mm -hmm. we're able to, to have it as a source, uh, a, a subject of study, which we've done by creating this online experience um, and can translate that into some serious experimentation as a result in all of our areas where we have conflict and injustice. Um, and this year, we finally adapted that, ver the, the version that I'm talking to you about now is about 14 to 16 hours, um, or should I say 16 to 18 hours long. It's a class, we call it the master class, but now we've adapted it for the workplace and it's three and a half hours. Um, and, and so um, it's, all I can say is the best pathway to get us to a just, humane, equitable and peaceful world. I love that. Um, I love that so much because I feel like people do need an education. I think too often we assume we know something because we've heard the term or we've seen True. historical footage of right. nonviolent protests, but it is a lot more than just protesting, showing up and <laughs> standing there. Right. It's a lot. There's a, there, there is a, a, a much deeper strategy. And that leads me to um, my next question, which is, as every year when we celebrate your father's birthday, there's a bunch of people who are really concerned about content of character. You know, you're going to see the Martin Luther King quotes. Um, and usually from the conservative side of the spectrum, it's about content of character because they want, you know, to make the point that it's not about race. It's not about race where, you know, we don't see color. Um, <laughs> um <laughs> And, and so they, I think, misinterpret some of the things that your father said and stood for. Can you, what is your reaction every year when you see that? The, the misuse of your father's words um, to, I think, undermine what his message actually was. Well, a few years ago, it was very disturbing and upsetting um, for me. And I remember something um, 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 my pastor um, told me when I was working more closely with him as an assistant pastor, he used to always tell me, and this was in my thirties, I didn't understand it, but I understand it now. 
He said, don't practice the ministry of amazement. <laughs> and I've gotten to the place now that as an older person, um, more mature, that I understand that there's always going to be people who misappropriate, mishandle, misinterpret, and co-opt um, messages, um, work, you know, and there's no need of getting upset about it anymore. What your job to do in that instance, and in this specific instance that you're talking about, is to just continue to speak the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, continue to put, uh, you know, whatever you need to put out there to challenge what's being said, but don't get into a back and forth debate because, you know, that ends up being endless um, because there are enough people out there who are watching, who may be on the fence. Mm-hmm. And if I get in the back and forth debate, I'll lose them. Uh, so I want to win as many people over to understand the true meaning of what my father talked about. And hopefully by doing that persistently, not in a back and forth debate, but as many places as possible, there'll be enough people that really understand it, that eventually whatever they're saying it's not going to be, it's not going to, it's not going to go anywhere. They'll just be saying it. Um, but if we're silent, then that's a problem. So I think the first thing is it's important for those of us who understand um, what he was saying to be clear on that um, as much as possible. Um, you know, I know people say, well, you hold people accountable. Some people are never going to change, um, but that's why you have to keep just shining the light um period to just continue to expose that um by telling the truth um and 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 um try to win as many people as possible to a better understanding i mean when people say that to me from the other side i say you know my father really when he was speaking about that number one that was in the last section of his speech right <laughs> there was a whole part of his speech beforehand that he talked about the conditions of our society um, that reflected a a nation that still was wrestling with racial inequity um, and and racial discrimination um, um, and racial mistreatment. And so when he spoke that, he was trying to give a message of hope uh, to people that it won't always be this way. Right. And that the vision is that we would get to a place where we one day will be able to not ignore color, but we will not use it as a standard of value to say, yes. okay, you're worth this and we'll give this to you and you're worth that and we'll give that to you. Um, <laughs> and, and so daddy was dealing with the reality of racism at the time that he spoke it. So he was not saying ignore all of the things that have negatively impacted my community um, um, and hold on to this you know, notion of, you no, know, let's just lay all that aside and just let's get along and look at me for the content of my character. No, that's not what he was saying. And so we just have to keep, we have to keep putting it out there because what we don't want to do is to allow mm-hmm. the people who aren't clear on what he was saying to be confused by it. Because that's the danger. It's oh, yeah. clear. There's some people who are going to use it till the hilt. That's, that's, that's what they're going to do. 
they're going to weaponize or whatever. But there are those people out there who are not clear on what it was he was saying. So our job is to make sure, again, that we speak what we need to speak in truth so that they recognize, you know, that what these other people are saying is not the case. Um, so that's, you know, that's that's the way I approach it. I, I love that so much. I think that's such an important message for people to hear, especially because we're going to see we're going to see the quotes. <laughs> we're going to oh, see yeah. them um, and we're going to see the misinterpretation of the content of character lines specifically a lot. And I and I love that you said he's not saying <laughs> ignore race. He's exactly. saying that that would not be the, the reason why you are mistreated. That's the goal is that it's not the reason why my life is harder. Um, exactly. That just makes and you, so much you know, sense you know, to me. You know what helped, what helped <laughs> me too is the fact that, you know, um, out of my faith tradition as a Christian, I've seen people mishandle the Bible forever, you know, Ooh. before I got here. Um, and, you know, I'm sure God is like, okay, that's not what I meant. <laughs> um, but I try to posture myself the same way that, you know, for me, Jesus postured himself in dealing with all the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the like. Um, and, you know, do what he did. You know, he did his little uh, parables and stories and he lived his life a certain way. Um, and he spoke his truth and he let it sit there. And yet uh, to this day, you know, people still will misconstrue, but his truth still um, continues on. And the truth of what Dr. King said will continue on as well. And the true meaning of it, more importantly, as long as there are people like people, you know, who properly represented. And I hope that, you know, I am a part of that crowd that properly represents, you know, what he was, uh, what he was saying and what he's, what he's been saying through a lot of his words, actually. I love that. One last question, and I know you have to go um, soon. Um, but there's, there's also the quote about the moral arc bending towards justice that we also hear. And I always ask myself, like every year, like, how long is this art? <laughs> like it's really, really long. Is it bending like fast? You know, like I feel like it's been a long time. You know, like it's slow. <laughs> that is bending slowly. Um, you know, for the folks out there who feel <laughs> weary sometimes, um, how do you keep going? Because if it does feel like the, that moral arc is slow, slowly bending, it's like creaking. You know what I mean? I, I, maybe it's a metal arc. I don't know. <laughs> Well, you know, it goes back to what my mother said. You earn it and win it in every generation. So mm, you gotta, yeah. the pressure has to be constantly applied, period. I mean, there's no such thing as, you know, can I, can I take a break? And what I mean by that is not, that's not to a person specifically, because in this freedom struggle, there are individuals that uh, will feel uh, not not just a need, but what but that need need to actually take a break um, because it's just too much. Um, but the generation can't. So I always tell people that every generation is called to the freedom struggle. No no generation is exempt. Individuals may want to opt out, you know, or people may feel like okay, this is a season where I just can't. That's fine, as long as holistically the generation does not do that. So enough of us have to be engaged through the process. And the one thing that has always helped me is history. I mean, mm -hmm. his, history has shown me 
that these things don't last always, that, you know, the things that we are seeing, um, yes, there may be semblances of the past um, that are visiting us or the residue from it, uh, but we've come a long way from where we were, um, from colonialism, um, you know, from apartheid, from the old South, you know, where people in the black community would have to get in their car and drive to the next uh, state and not stop at a convenience store gas station. Right. I think about that all the time, yep. you know, because I did grow up, you know, as a little girl where, mm-hmm. you know, we couldn't just stop anywhere. Right. Um, right. You know, there would, you know, there's those green book places, but you had to, you had to pack your stuff to eat. Exactly. You know? And, um, you know, uh, sometimes you had to release yourself on the side of the road. So no, um, it, there's certain things that should be the case, but these, these things are gifts to every generation. These struggles yeah. are gifts right. to every generation so that we can strengthen our muscles of love, you know, of compassion, of kindness. You know, you need a little meanness around you to learn how to be kind. You need a little hate around you to know the power of love. Mm. Um, you know, and, and so I, I just approach life a little bit differently. And I draw from the history of saying, if my ancestors, if those who came before us were able to fight through all of those different seasons of our nation, you know, evolving, we have the same capacity, um, even perhaps greater capacity because of the, um, um, ability to connect in ways that they could not connect. Um, because right. of social media, um, right. the internet, everything. Um, and I remember something my mother always said. She said, baby, the darkest hour is always before the dawn. It's true. I, I used to wonder, why is she telling me that? I now understand because she wanted me to understand that, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's difficult. It's challenging. It's, it's dark. But dawn, dawn is coming. So don't stop working, you know. Um, there's going to be a, there's going to be a daybreak in the work that we're doing. We just don't have the ability to control the time period. Um, and the other question I didn't get asked my mother to what you said earlier is, you know, is this art long? Is it, you know, what kind of material is it? It's creaking, you know, how much more time? I forgot to ask her, how do you know when it's the darkest? <laughs> right. You know, are we halfway? Is it halfway bent? You know what I mean? It's like, we're not sure. It was like when, when people used to compare the pandemic to the tunnel, a tunnel, and they would say, well, we're, you know, we're almost at the end of the tunnel. I'm like, are we sure that the tunnel yeah, doesn't exactly. have another curve to it? And yeah. we're still, we turned around and went back the other way, reverse in the tunnel. I mean, I, I just feel like sometimes I want to, I, I never go out for a run without knowing how far I'm going to go. Uh, and so I, I feel like I need to get a lay of the land. Like, where are we in this journey? <laughs> like, how far are we and how much further do we need to go? And so it's always good yeah, to but get the, that calibration. So that, that's good when you're doing something individually. But when you're doing something as a collective humanity, we don't get the luxury of having that kind of information because there are other people on this journey that will come after us. And and so as I said, it's 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 the con- continuation in every generation, um, and you just gotta run faithfully, consistently, mm-hmm. 
uh, in your lifetime and uphold the right standards uh, because people are behind you. Mm. You know, they're watching, they're learning, you know, they're going to need something for them and their generation. And what the ones that previously showed us is the capacity to discipline ourselves, to face injustice. They had to display that for those of us like me who were much younger to see, yeah, you can do this thing. You know, if you don't have other people in front of you doing yes. it, you're not going to believe you can do it. And then you have to be the same, too, because there are others behind you. So you can't give up because you need to give them hope <laughs> that right. it can be done. So that's what helps me. I'm like, no, I'm not I'm not giving up because those children out there need to see me continuing to push forward. They need to see me have these little small victories and celebrate those because we yes. forget that we're looking for the big victories, you know. Look at the small things that take place and celebrate them because there's something about in the in the whole universe, the more you celebrate, the more grateful you are, more of that comes, you know? Um, and we have to stop and do that. Daddy used to always talk about, you know, the, the small victories. And Montgomery, you know, they saw little small victories along yes. the way. Then they had the big victory in Montgomery, but it wasn't as big as civil rights the Civil Rights Act, but it was big. And the people had to celebrate it and made them lift their, their heads up. Their spirits felt better. Um, and then they had the energy to move to the next, you know, the next thing. But life, some things you just have to accept about life. That's what I've learned. There are nuances, there's no black and white. Um, but the, the, the gift is, that we all have the capacity, if we so choose, to be a vessel of good and love, even in the midst of all the ugliness and the hate and the racism. And we have the capacity uh, to, to be a part of a force to change all of that, to change what was put in place that hurt so many people. But we have to understand it's bigger than just me. You know, it's it's a lot of stuff that we're having to correct you know um so it's you know it's kind of like uh when you look at the the human body and we you know with weight you know it it, it seems like it's easy to put on the weight it's hard oh, to yeah. get it off it's hard to get it off and that's what these struggles are about it's easy for this ugliness to happen you know quick fast and in a hurry but it's sure hard to get all of this heaviness out of the way it, but it but it can be done. We know that in just physical terms, it can be done. And we have yes, the it mental, can. we have the mental and the spiritual capacity to do it if we yes, just discipline ourselves. Yep. I love what you said. Become a vessel of love. I'm gonna take that into um, my days. Um, not that I don't do that, but I think that that mantra is a good one to sort of marinate on every day um, because I think, and I talk about it on the, the show all the time. I want people to have more compassion. Mm -hmm. I want people to have more empathy. I, I, it, it hurts me physically sometimes to see people lacking those things. Um, because I've just, as even as a child, just, you know, if somebody was talking, even during the teacher talking or somebody was being mean to someone in the class, like I'm the one that would get physically uncomfortable by that. Just because I feel like, you know, that deep empathy, I got it from my mom. I got it from my parents um, in the same way that you have so many important lessons from your two um, iconic parents. 
um, I think all of us need to lean into that. That's the that's the mantra for the new year. I don't know what affirmations or goals people are having, but or writing down, but be a vessel of love. I think that's and, a great and, message. And and people need to know that does not mean stand by and let things happen. Right. That means be a vessel of love. Love is has truth in it. Yes. Love has courage in it. Obviously, as you just said, love has compassion in it. Um, and so I just, I wanted to say that because so often when people hear it, they're like, oh, that's just that, you know, let's just get along. It's okay. No, it's not okay. But I'm love does not destroy the right. other, right. you know. It so still important. is rooting for the best to happen with the other as well. While they're doing this stuff to me, I'm, I don't want it to come to them. I'm not going to wish evil on them. Right. Um, if anything, I'm going to be a vessel so that they can come back to their true self. <laughs> because all of us, when we were born, we didn't have all this stuff in us. You know, the, some of the stuff that people have in them, they didn't have in it. When they came to this earth, they didn't have all that stuff in them. Right. <laughs> they didn't. It's so it's so true. We're, when we when we show up, we we learn things. Yeah. <laughs> um. When we all show up, it's 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 just a blank slate. And I think we, we need to get back to becoming that vessel of love. Dr. Bernice King, it has been an honor truly to speak to you today. And I'm so grateful to you for taking the time to talk with us. I think people will be inspired listening to this conversation and we'll be able to tomorrow or in the next five minutes decide they will become a vessel of love and compassion. Not that they're going to, you know, it's, it's everybody get along no matter what. No, it's, confronting injustice, telling the truth, but having that compassion. That's so important. I love that so much. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday. 